0: Hi, everyone, this is Connor Gilsonen, and you're listening to the all things off podcast. On this show, I talk to creators, researchers, founders and advocates who are moving the ball forward on usable security and privacy. We discuss how they got to where they are today and what they're currently working on. Who are they trying to help and what keeps them motivated to overcome challenges along the way. The goal, as always, is for the rest of us to learn from their experiences and go on to promote usable security and privacy within our own projects and organizations. Joining me today is Alex Grinman, co-founder of CryptCo, a company whose goal is to make strong phishing-proof authentication easy to use. Their open source project is called Krypton, and it uses a browser extension and mobile app to turn the phone sitting in your pocket right now into a two-factor authentication security key. During our conversation, Alex explains how Krypton first started as a secure messaging app, then evolved to help developers manage SSH keys, and today aims to make phishing-resistant two-factor authentication a realistic option for average internet users. We get Alex's thoughts on Google's recent focus on allowing Android phones to be used as security keys, what happens if you lose your phone, and different approaches to account recovery. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Well, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to come on as guest today. Yeah, absolutely, thanks for having me. So, in the introduction, we briefly heard about Krypton and some of the things it can do at a very high level, but uh, right off the bat, why don't you give us a little more context about what Krypton is and how it fits into the larger ecosystem of two-factor authentication.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so Krypton. I mean, the goal with Krypton is really to make strong cryptography accessible to everybody and how they authenticate to websites um, and various services. And so, you know, two-factor that we know most most commonly is you get an SMS text message with a six-digit code and you type that in somewhere. And the problem with that kind of method or any kind of method that involves typing something in is that you don't really know where you're typing it into, right? And so. That six-digit code could be completely intercepted and used to, uh, by an attacker, to to a man in the middle of you and, and get access to your account. And so, what these new standards, uh, Universal Second Factor, and and now it's called Web Authentication, that was just recently approved by W three C, what they aim to do is to use uh, cryptography instead to actually prevent that phishing from uh, even being possible to happen. So, and the way the way they they do that is. Uh, Typically, people have to buy these hardware security keys. You know, a YubiKey. There's a few other ones. I think you know. You mentioned that you were talking with the creator of SoloKeys. So you know, uh, these there are a lot of these hardware keys that actually can take care of uh, take care of this for the user by uh, cryptographically signing some data, including you know some randomness and some other things. But part of that, it actually signs the domain name that the user is on. And so what we've done at Crypto, we we built Krypton to be your security key but it doesn't need any physical hardware that you don't have. You don't have to buy anything. You can just use your phone. And the way it works is we have a browser extension and the phone application, and you have to install both. And you do this one-time thing where you pair them, and that creates the secure, you know, end-to-end encrypted authenticated channel that your browser can now talk to your phone. And so instead of the, you know, USB key alternative that talks to this hardware device that's plugged into your computer, our extension actually redirects those messages to your phone which can show you a nice, you know, user experience, kind of like a Google, you know, a Duo, uh, a Duo two-factor push, or a Google prompt saying, "Hey, do you want to authenticate to this website?" You hit yes. Under the hood, the crypto happens on your phone, you know, using that crypto coprocessor that most phones have nowadays, and it ships back that signature over over this channel that's that's completely authenticated, and the browser extension fills in and completes the authentication. And so, from the user's perspective, it's basically like a two-factor push to log in. But what's actually happening under the hood is this: it's using, a, you know, uh, this U2F uh, web protocol to actually do phishing-proof uh, cryptographic authentication.
0: Yeah, that is uh, a great overview, and I have to say that Krypton was incredibly exciting to me when I came across it. I had been thinking about very similar things over the years, and to come across. This great project that you guys had already worked on and was functional, and I could get my hands on and actually use, um, my my phone or my tablet or whatever as a security key was just fantastic. And one of the use cases that jumped into my mind is for uh, family members, where you know I talk a lot about security with people, but encouraging anyone in the consumer context to purchase a security key can be a big challenge. And not only might they be price sensitive, but they're not sure which to buy, will it work with my devices? There's a lot of questions. And if instead we can get this phishing protection that you outlined by installing a browser extension and an app on the phone that reduces a lot of barriers to actually having phishing protection used by average internet users
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's our you know one of the most interesting um parts about you know our work is that we're constantly sort of balancing two pillars, which is this security is cryptography pillar, and then also the user experience pillar. I mean, it's it, it, I always think that if you can't make security usable at the end of the day, it's no one's going to use it. So there's really no point to it. and And I don't think there's enough focus on that. and and it makes sense because you know there's so many technical challenges to solve first. But I think that you know the community at large isn't thinking enough about user experience.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and you know that's one of the motivations for talking with people like you working on interesting projects to try to move the ball forward in security and usability, and um, I I think more focus in the community can can only help. And so one of the things that we've talked a little bit about offline that I love to dig into is. Um, you know, Krypton is this great app right now for your phone that works with two factor, but it hasn't always been that way. And so, all the way back in college, you started thinking about uh, Krypton and using phones to secure to store cryptographic keys. So, can you talk a little bit about where this idea came from, the motivation, and how you got started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I, you know, I've I've been doing ios development since ios 3.0 so i've been kind of building apps for a long time now and 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 at mit i felt started falling in love with security and cryptography and you know i wanted to bridge these two things together and so uh one of the one idea that i had in in kind of the early days and that was actually sort of the first version of krypton was a secure messaging app and of course you know we see Secure messaging apps everywhere, and you know this was I, this was like around 2014. So there weren't as many of them, but Signal I think did exist. What I didn't like about any of these applications is that they actually required you to trust the server in some capacity. So you know, even Signal, if you don't verify your safety numbers, um, then you might be man in the middle, then you have no idea. And so, and for the people
0: they, who, for the people who might not be aware of safety numbers, a, a lot of people use end-to-end encryption apps, in my experience, and don't have a complete understanding of how things are working. But you mentioned these safety numbers, and can you just give a little bit of color on what that is, and is it specific to any particular application or more generic?
1: Yeah, so so it's not specific to any application, but I think Signal calls them safety numbers. So the the idea is, um, you know, any end-to-end encrypted communication, where where you know whether it be video or Phone, you know, phone or, or messages. At the end of the day, you you establish a set of keys that you're encrypting the communication with, and the idea is that it would be good if both people were using the same key because it means at least that they uh, that no one can no one uh, can intercept that communication. And so the safety number is essentially a cryptographic hash. It's sort of a you know a representation of. Of this key that's used to encrypt the communication, and so if you go in person to somebody and you verify that you have that same number, then you can be pretty confident that you're actually encrypting the communication such that no one else can can read it. If the numbers are different, it could be the case that you're you know somebody's intercepting the communication and they're you know Alice is encrypting it with one key and that and then Eve intercepts that, reads the contents, and then re-encrypts it under another key that then Bob. Bob can decrypt later. And so this is the, the, the fundamental problem. And so when when you use Signal, you actually trust their server at first and they could do this key negotiation. And so it's possible that they could intercept that communication. And unless you check those safety numbers, you don't ever really know. And so with, with Krypton what, or with the first version of Krypton, whatever it was at the time, I had this idea that you can't even do that. You can't even talk to somebody that you don't trust that's not even possible. It's not possible to establish communication that's secure without you know, verifying these numbers. And so the way I did it constructively is you actually generate this key pair on your phone and you show somebody in person, a public key represented as a QR code, and they use their phone to scan it. And that's that's actually how you get connected with someone. And so the key exchange is part of the you know, uh, way of actually even initiating a message to somebody is you have to have their public key. And now you can use the server completely in an untrusted way because it's just sending you know blind encrypted messages, and they don't know you know they don't know at all who is communicating to who because anyone that generates this key can themselves can, can start these conversations.
0: That's really interesting. So it's trying to address specifically this trust on first use problem, where by being there in person and scanning this QR code visually. Um, you no longer have to trust anything after that point because you've established that trust from the beginning.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, obviously, one of the huge drawbacks to this this uh, application is that you can't chat with anybody until you meet with them in person. And while that's true in some perspective, because how can you really trust somebody if you don't you know know them, right? I mean, if you just talk to them digitally your entire life, you don't really know who they are, and so. Um, you know, so it, it kind of makes sense, but in practice, it'd be really annoying to have to physically meet with somebody before I can send them a message. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So my my guess is that this was not a runaway success in uh, a market or commercial sense. Uh, what was the the thought process for Krypton in this early phase, and where did you take things next?
1: Yeah. So so one of the co founders of the company is a professor at MIT, and he was actually my advisor at the time just an undergraduate advisor and I, you know, we were talking about uh, various cryptography things and I just showed him this app that I built. And that was sort of the genesis of actually starting a company around, uh, you know, doing something with cryptography. And we went through a few ideas, but one thing that we really liked is um, this concept of storing keys on the phone, because, you know, it would be great if we could all store keys in our brain and then compute signatures at will that would be awesome. And I would say we don't have any need for Krypton whatsoever anymore, but you know, that's not the case. And so the phone is sort of the extension of our brain, right? It's the computer we always have on us um, and it's easy to use. And so really the problem became, how do I use this key that's stored on the phone? Because it's a good place to store the key, it's always with me. You can now, you know, phones have crypto co we can store the keys there, um, you know, apps are sandbox, so other software can't, you know, get access to them easily. So how do you use it on another device, say, my computer, my, my desktop? Um, and that's sort of where we came into developing this, this pairing protocol. How do I pair with a computer and essentially let the computer delegate its cryptography usage to my phone? And so the computer can reach out to the phone, ask it for signatures, the you know, phone can prove. And, and, that's, and that's sort of the fundamental basis for Krypton. And, and at the time, you know, web authentication didn't exist. U2F was still really early days, like very few sites supported it and um when we decided you know where do people use keys right now where can we build you know where what application of krypton can we release that 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 will be useful to people today and, and where we landed was ssh keys so actually access to servers and so the first version of krypton just stored ssh private key you generated and stored your ssh private key you can pair it we have a terminal cli that you've you know paired pair it with by scanning a QR code, same exact as you know the current product. And this is actually all this functionality is still part of Krypton. It's just a little bit hidden behind a developer uh, flag. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea is that every time you push code to GitHub, or every time you log into a server, the, the it reaches out to your phone and asks you for your approval. And we later extended that to actually also uh, sign Git commits. So you can actually authenticate your Git commits using a PGP key that's also stored in Krypton. And we did that approximately when GitHub released the ability to add a PGP key, your public key, to your GitHub profile, so you can, and then they show you, you know, signed commits. So we, we timed that with <laughs> with their release.
0: Nice, yeah. The ability to keep your SSH key off of your uh, computer and store it somewhere else. In this case, on the Krypton app on your phone. I know there's some other products in the market that try to tackle this as well. And the one that comes to mind for me is some of the YubiKeys where they can they can do this functionality in hardware. So did anything like that exist at the time? I can't recall, but was this just a motivation you came up with to solve a pain point that you had with security keys uh, for SSH? Or was there some other driving motivation to go after this um, group of developers who who might already know what is happening and improving things a little bit for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that we sort of had three motivations with this. Um, the first is that, yeah, YubiKeys existed and they could do this, but obviously we don't like the user experience there. They're really hard to set up for this application. And, you know, that's one of the major feedback we were, you know, feedback points we received when we built this was like, wow, the user experience is so much better with Krypton compared to these hardware keys. And really, the fundamental problem that is being solved is that you know your SSH key just lives in a folder on your desktop, which means any like npm script you install could just extract all your SSH keys, and this has happened a lot. You know, this is something that happens pretty uh, pretty frequently. Um, there was a big there was like a big case of this from I don't know if you've heard of Panic Software. They made uh, the Coda app for Mac and and Transmit, you know, FTP client. One of the co-founders was actually hacked this way by they downloaded some, you know, malware accidentally and it extracted the SSH keys and they um, it's it actually, they stole their source code and they tried to ransom it um, and they, or they made it public. I forget exactly what it was, but yeah, I mean, it was a huge nightmare for them because they're, that's what they sell is their software. And, and so somebody exposed their, their, their code um, and they actually use Krypton now. They use YubiKeys and Krypton for various different levels, but, you know they're they've been an early uh, supporter of Krypton. Um, they even added the ability to use Krypton with their FTP clients, so it was pretty cool. Um, but but yeah, I mean the yeah I mean the other the other main issue with with uh, with SSH keys is that developers are are lazy, and that's a good thing. But it can also be a bad thing when it means that they you know upload their private keys to Dropbox. And so making <laughs> Krypton be an easy solution to always have your GitHub key or your server keys with you, but secure. Uh, turned out to be very useful as well.
0: Yeah, it is a really great example to highlight that the software we install as developers on um, via NPM or any other package management um, really is running on our computer. And unless we've audited it, we're not aware of everything that it might be doing. Uh, and it's also a great example of how quickly companies can prioritize security after the fact once they've been Personally impacted by a scenario, um, so it's great to hear that Krypton's working well for them. Were there other um, aspects of the user experience that really stood out at the time? You had mentioned it was a lot easier to use than YubiKey. What are some of the elements that that made it easier to use, and particularly that you heard feedback from users?
1: Yeah. So one, you know, one thing is that every time you, you know. You want a developer wants to use GitHub. let's say they haven't used GitHub in a while, and you're on, or you're on ramping a new developer. They have to they go through this process of generating this SSH key for GitHub. And everyone looks at that same blog post that actually is posted by GitHub. And so you have to like run some random command and you know it's really easy to mess up. You might accidentally upload your private key. And so when you do this process, even even just the, the, the normal process of generating a key on your computer without any kind of peripheral device is pretty cumbersome. Um, one of the nice things about Krypton is that you push a button in the app and then that's how your key is generated and that's it. Um, and then we we, we have an onboarding process that guides you to what you need to install on your computer, which is just one command. Um, and then you scan this QR code, which is a very natural thing that a lot of people have seen, and, and you're basically set up completely. We help you upload your key to GitHub, we help you know the right key, obviously, and we do all that for you. The feedback that we got from uh, people who use YubiKeys for similar things is that it requires a lot of configuration and using this arcane, you know, tool to uh, to you know generate the right type of key on uh, using YubiKey and then export the public key out of it. it. It's sort of this long process that you know there's like multi-page tutorials of commands that you have to write to actually get it to work. And so that, I mean, comparing Krypton to YubiKey is, I, I don't think there's like a really you know great comparison. It's just obviously so much easier with Krypton. Um, but even just comparing the process of generating a key on your computer using just the SSH key gen tool is is pretty hard <laughs> without mm-hmm. without a guiding a guiding blog post.
0: Yeah, I've certainly had to generate uh, many SSH keys in my day. And <laughs> uh, I know the exact blog post you're talking about. Uh, you know, they're not commands that people tend to know off the top of their head. They look them up when they need them, and then they are doing a bunch of other things. So they, you know, forget about the details of generating a new SSH key. So. Improving that experience, I can definitely see the benefit there. I'm wondering specifically, how does the public key get off of the uh, app, the Krypton app, and uploaded to GitHub? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so we uh, what we do is during the pairing protocol, they exchange. You know, if you've ever looked at like uh, TLS, how TLS works, there's like a hello. You know, there's so the command line client, we call it uh, KR, and we have this daemon running called KRd, and so. KRD sends this hello message to the phone, or rather, um, uh, when 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 you pair a Krypton w- scan the QR code, it sends a Krypton hello message. And and, and part of this exchange, they exchange these uh, keys that they can then communicate and establish the secure communication channel. And one of the first messages, once they have finished that protocol, is, hey, this is who I am. This is my, I am this Krypton user, you know, this is the name of my Krypton device, this is my SSH public key, this is my, you know, PGP public key. And so now KR has this information, it has this public key, and you can just type a command KR GitHub, and it'll open up GitHub right to the right settings page. It'll, you know, copy your public key to the clipboard. All you have to do is hit paste, and then you're, you're good to go. Um, you know, we, we were thinking about doing a more, a tighter integration with GitHub, but we didn't want to deal with authentication. Most people already have a logged in GitHub tab open for developers, so.
0: Yeah. Um that seems like a really nice experience. That uh overview of the handshake and exchange of the key was really helpful. And then the fact that you take it even the next step to open up GitHub to the correct page, something as simple as that. It really the devil's in the details, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and, and the other thing is that, you know, one of our mission, you know, mission statements kind of early on was that. We don't think that cryptography should be hard for even new developers. And and the people that are generating these keys and that are making these mistakes are typically like, you know, fresh out of school grads who are who haven't really done, you know, professional dev before and they have this onboarding process that's pretty awful. And so making that at least easier from a software perspective is is something that we think is pretty valuable.
0: Yeah. Could not agree more. And I would extend it even further to say. Um, any developer, myself included can, can make mistakes and because it's not top of mind for people on, on an everyday basis, it increases the risk all that much more for when you actually go to do it. And you're like, I remember doing this. Let me just run through quickly. And lo and behold, you make a mistake or, or something simple. So, um, so after the Krypton, um, app was focused at ssh keys and developers working well with this integration for the uh, command line tool you're talking about how did it evolve from there to working in the browser with u2f what what was the thought process to shift from a more technical audience to maybe a more average internet user audience
1: yeah i mean we we always had the goal of getting this technology out to a lot of people and consumers primarily you know not not just developers and one thing we saw as we were developing, you know, the developer version of Krypton, um, the uh, U2F adoption had increased a lot. You know, we saw sites like Dropbox and, you know, Google was an early supporter of it, but um, we had, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, GoDaddy, even, you know, lots of different platforms started support, supporting it, GitHub, GitLab, Stripe even, um, and so we, we decided, you know, hey, it's now kind of a good time to build this because there are sites people can use it with, and so and it would increase the adoption of, of Krypton. And we had a lot of work to do, in you know, refining the user experience of it to make it more friendly and to make it less technical. Um, and so that was sort of a new design uh, focus and for, for the actual and and applications. Um, but yeah, that was the main motivator: is that hey, there are sites that use this now. We can actually provide People with a simpler authentication mechanism, meaning no six-digit codes, you know, no, you know, um, opening up the app and you know copying something or whatever. But also, it's phishing-proof, and so increased security, increased user experience for us—that's a win-win, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely a win-win. Uh, you had mentioned earlier this historical uh, belief that is prevalent in in a lot of communities in the tech world where you can have convenience or you can have security and there's this strong inverse relationship. So anytime that you can come up with a solution that drives forward both the usability and the security is incredibly exciting. And I think, you know, while there are uh, tensions between convenience and usability and security, um, I think in in a lot of circumstances, the community has fallen back on this motto of, you have to have one or the other, uh, because it is hard. It's really, really hard to design things to be usable and secure. Um, But there's tons of great examples throughout industry where you can move both forward, and Krypton and the things that you guys are working on, I think is a great example of that. Um, You mentioned that U2F picking up in popularity at this time was part of the motivation for realizing, hey, this could be a good application, now might be a good time to chase this. Do you think that the support for U2F via some of the sites you've mentioned had to be in place initially, or could demand from the technical community for stronger two-factor solutions motivate some of these sites to support it? Kind of this chicken and the egg problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you need a little bit of both. I think, I think that the, you know, the fact that a lot of this technology was driven by Google from how they used it internally to stop phishing um, played a big role in other companies also wanting to adopt it internally. And then, sort of what you're saying is very true. The t- developer, the technical community said, "Hey, you guys should add this for your external, you know, the external site for, for external customers, um, because hey, I want to store secure, you know, very." Sensitive things in my Dropbox account, right? And um, and so it should. I should be able to protect my Dropbox account with the highest level of security that exists, right? And I think that there's sort of it, the balance isn't quite there because these things exist for the technical user that wants them, that is persistent enough to find them. But a lot of times, for for you know, for most platforms that we've seen, they kind of hide the U2F, the security key settings, sort of deep deep in the security uh security setting site right and so you sometimes have to enable another form of two factor anyways before you can even get access to this menu option which makes it hard for a consumer who doesn't even use two-factor which makes up probably more than 80 percent of users on every website they don't have any two-factor enabled so if you pitch them this you've really good user experience two-factor solution and you want them to enable it right away they have to jump through all these other hoops before they can even turn that switch on even if they have Krypton or, or they have a security key. And so I think that there needs to be this balance that's a little bit better. And it's unclear how to do that because, you know, the reason that a lot of sites don't want to flash this, you know, feature in front of everybody is because they're worried that people will lock themselves out of their accounts, right? So there's the balance of user education um, and, you know, the right market timing is, is, is complicated. And, and, you know, still, I think it's still uh, a big struggle.
0: Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of factors at play here. I think the recent uh, uh, adoption of web authentication, this FIDO2, the the next generation of the U2F spec, the fact that web authentic is now supported in all major browsers and um, kind of gaining momentum, hopefully is going to be this paradigm shift where more services are able to offer support um, where they haven't in the past. Uh, one of the reasons that I've heard from people that they haven't implemented is that it was only supported in Chrome uh, experimentally in Firefox and there there wasn't this consistent implementation across browsers. So as things improve there, um, hopefully we we see some change, but to your point as well about the user experience, if you have to go through 12 different menus to even get there, and then you need to make a choice between different types of 2FA. There's there's still a lot of work to be done on the front end to get people into the situation where they can make the correct decision, potentially, for themselves to enable this secure method of two-factor with web authentication. Um, so I, I think that's a really great point. Is the user experience something that you think Krypton can play a big part in by highlighting that there's many different ways to use web authentication. You know, security keys and hardware is the conventional example, but you've taken a different route here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean one, you know, to, to your point, I think it's it's very, it's very true that, you know, it was only supported by Chrome until very recently. And um, you know, one of the things that we were able to accomplish is because of we have a browser extension, we could actually add it to any browser. So it works for us in Safari, it works in Chrome, Firefox even in Microsoft edge and so the funny thing is that we often had to fight a different battle which is we go you get to a site and they think that because you're on Safari let's say that you're not going to be able to even access u 2 f they they forcefully disable it even though you have Krypton installed and you can log in and so I you know I frequently have to change my user agent because um, I, I use Safari all the time and so um, but yeah I mean it's it's uh I think so I think that's one place where Krypton can exist is that you know, even as more platforms start adding support to it, you know, just making it more accessible, making it work for people in any circumstance, right? If I use a Chrome browser and an Android phone sh- on a Mac, it should still work. And I don't think that, you know, the, these configurations are going to be available, even if every platform has their own individual support for the standards um, in, the, in the near future. I mean, I think it's going to take a really long time. And... Uh, We'll take a lot more buy-in from websites themselves um, before we can see some of this cross-platform work being done. I mean, if you look at password managers, you know, like iOS and and macOS and that that whole ecosystem, they have the Cloud Keychain, iCloud Keychain, which does password management, right? And it it generates strong passwords, stores them for you, really good user experience. If you use an iPhone, a Mac, and Safari everywhere. If you don't, then you're going to have a pretty bad experience, and so that's why things like One Password and LastPass, and you know all these different password managers exist because they filled in the gap of this cross-platform support. So I think that there's a pretty you know good, compelling case for why a cross-platform password manager, or rather a you know web Authent key manager, could exist to to simplify the user experience across across um, the different devices and, and browsers.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a compelling case as well and certainly one that uh, I am familiar with. I've worked on a number of projects that also rely on a browser extension. And so not being baked into the core of the browser definitely has some downsides. There, There are some really exciting advantages if it was native functionality. But because it is a browser, like you highlighted, you can port this functionality in between browsers that um, you can go from Firefox to Chrome to Safari, anyone that can work with a browser, you can potentially bring this functionality to. So I think that's a really exciting uh, differentiator. So one of the things that we've talked about a couple of times and I wanna dig in on is this idea of account recovery. So if with any method of two factor, if someone loses their, their factor, maybe it's their phone, or maybe it's a hardware security key, there's a possibility they could lock themselves out of their account. And you had mentioned that as as potentially one of the hesitations for companies to implement uh, certain types of two factor in in the first place. So what are your thoughts on account recovery generally? And specifically, is there anything that Krypton is doing to help there? And if someone were to be using Krypton for two factor and lose their phone, uh, what situation would they be in? Would they be having a seriously bad day?
1: Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is this is an area that we are thinking a lot about, and it's we think that it's absolutely essential to make any sort of mass adoption of, of um, you know, web authentication even feasible for people is, is solving account recovery. And so, yeah, I'll go into what we what we're thinking about it. The, the state, you know, it's important to think about what the state of affairs are today in terms of. how different websites that we all know and use think about uh, recovery with with regards to security keys. And so every platform except for one, which is Google, by default, if you set set up a security key, that means you have had to set up another form of two-factor previously. And so if you lose your security key, or even if you just don't have your security key on you, they will let you log in with a backup 2FA method, which actually reduces the security of your account because if you've enabled security keys and then all of a sudden somebody's trying to log in and doesn't have one, they don't require it, it sort of defeats the purpose a little bit. If someone tries to fish you and makes, you, makes it seem to you that your security key is just not working, so we'll have to default to a backup 2FA method, then that's how they can still get access to your account. Um, maybe it's a little bit harder, but it's still not super satisfying. Um, Google, on the other hand, yeah, has uh, what they call advanced um, advanced protection program. And it's designed for people like journalists and dissidents, really people who really have nation state adversaries that are trying to get access to their accounts um, is sort of the motivation. But a lot of other people in the tech community now, now use it, especially if you think about like uh, people that hold cryptocurrency, right? They don't want their Google accounts broken into. And so this, this program uh, enables your Google account uh, to require a security key. So you even so, no backup method works. You have to have a security key to log in. And what they do is they make you have two. They make you set up two security keys, um, which is interesting. And so the idea is you keep one in a safe and you keep one on you, and then you're good to go. Um, you can actually use Krypton as one of your security keys. You could actually use Krypton as both of your security keys, though maybe not recommended um but yeah the current state of affairs today is that if you lose your phone you're going to be not in a great place even with krypton um, because we don't have the key only lives in the secure hardware on your phone it's not something you can back up or store somewhere else but we're working on a number of different technology centric ideas that will let you actually have multiple keys on every account and use the idea of having a network of your devices so the idea that You know, you have a browser extension that has your identity and it could maybe store, you know, a share of it and you can store a share of it on your phone. And so the rough idea, which isn't fully fledged out yet and fully available to talk about is, uh, you know, using the fact that you have a network of devices to be able to, uh, you know, reinstantiate. Um, access based on just ownership of, of maybe some set of other devices you own. And this actually is somewhat similar to like a Keybase type approach. I think you're talking to Max, Keybase, right? So, you know, it's, I, I, this is a super interesting way to solve problems. It's thinking about the user as a network of their devices. And if they lose one of them, how can they use another device to, to rebootstrap that, um, th- their identity, right?
0: Yeah, it is. um, You know, I am going to be chatting with Max, and I know that Keybase is taking an approach on this. Um, I think there's a lot of people trying to solve account recovery. As you pointed out, it's one of the glaring problems today in account security. Even if you set up security keys on your account, if there's a less secure two-factor method that you can default back to, then someone attacking your account isn't going to even bother trying to attack your security key, they might click a link and say, I don't have it, send me a text. And then all the attacks that come with getting a code over text start to apply. So it is really something important to to fix. And I think taking this approach of leveraging users that have multiple devices makes a lot of sense to me. What about the millions and millions and millions of people online who might not have their own personal device or if they have their personal device they have just one. Solving the identity problem with multiple devices I think is a fantastic thing and and for people who are privileged to be in that situation it's fantastic but there's many other parts of the average internet users online who don't fall into that category. Are there other approaches you think that uh, might come into play when considering the fact that people only have one device
1: yeah I think so I think the you know network of devices is just one the you know one tier solution if when you actually start thinking about trust and you know recovering identity it's you might want to think about it in terms of multiple people so like you know who do, who in this world do you trust right you know you, you know your your partner, your parents, other really good friends right and so sure definitely. Yeah. So so the idea is that maybe you should store a secret share or, you know, and we can talk about what secret sharing is, but the idea is you can store a part, a fragment of your identity, which is your, maybe your long secret key, right? Uh, Or a master key and share that a little bit of it with everybody. And so everybody that you trust. And so the idea is that if you lose all your devices, at the worst case scenario, you can you know go up to somebody you know go up to your family members and and you know they obviously know who you are they trust you they will easily help you you know rebootstrap your identity
0: one of the things i've done recently is help get my parents set up with two factor on mm-hmm. their gmail account and you know they had two factor enabled um previously with sms but for christmas i got little security keys for everyone, because that's that's what we tech people do, and helping them get set up, one of the approaches that we took is realizing the use case that they had. And carrying around a security key for them wasn't really a viable option, but it was actually something I looked at as a, as a backup. And so what we set up for them was a push notification to their phone, which is the primary method they'll use on a regular basis. They have their phone with them. And then should they unfortunately lose their phone, they can go home, use the security key and they can still get into their account. And of course the push notification approach is vulnerable to phishing attacks, um, in the same way that it would be getting a text, uh, text message. But one of the things that really excites me about Krypton is I can now help them set up that same experience of having the phone be their primary uh, security key. Um, And it now has this built-in phishing resistance, but they can still leave the backup hardware key at home. So, So they're getting this phishing resistance with the same user experience while not needing to worry about the dire consequences of losing their phone.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's that, you know, that's, it's kind of funny, but that's, that's the one of the ways, the short version of how we, we would talk about it, you know, in our team is, you know, I want this to be something like my parents can use, or my grandparents can use. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a, I, I wish more people thought about that as a guiding principle for for user experience and, and developing, you know, any kind of security technologies.
0: Yeah, having your team always have that top of mind definitely makes a big difference. And you've talked a lot about the the motivations of Krypton and and the f- desire to focus on this user experience. I think there are a lot of other people doing really interesting work. Obviously, in this podcast, I'm hoping to talk to many of them. But the industry at large, I think there's more people who need to be focusing and thinking about this who aren't currently taking that approach one of the things that has been going on in the industry that is also trying to move this ball forward for usability in terms of two-factor is this recent announcement by google that they're um, putting technology in place to allow people to use their phones as security keys so it's a very similar approach or similar goal rather uh, that krypton has but a very different approach Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've you've researched in terms of Google's approach there, and how you think um, two-factor authentication, specifically with phishing resistance, is going to be impacted moving forward, whether it's going to be software-based, hardware-based, or some kind of combination of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the the Google Android security key was an awesome announcement. You know, I, I, I had known that they were going to release that for some time. You know, it's, 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 a lot of people might say that it, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't solve, the problem, really, any major problems yet? Because it only works on Android, it only works with the Chrome browser, and it only works on a Google account. So it's really just like a tool for Google users, which is great. I think it'll solve a lot of problems for a lot of people, um, but it doesn't necessarily answer the questions about what's happening in the larger, you know, ecosystem of internet security and and general, you know, web authentication. Um, I think you're right. I think as things are moving forward, you know. Um, There's going to be, you know, where is it, where is this technology going to exist? And I think if we start sort of outlining what a perfect world might look like, um, we might want to, we might, we might design it such that, you know, there's a built-in platform authenticator that works on every platform. There's one built into, you know, Chrome OS or, or Chrome browser itself or Mac OS or iOS or Android. And you now have every single device you have has a, a cryptographic key store that it can use to run this, you know, web authentic protocol. Uh, The question then becomes, how do you bootstrap a new device, right? How, if I have have a platform authenticator on my phone, how do I then log in on my computer that doesn't have a platform authenticator? And so that's somewhat of the problem that Krypton solves right now, is it lets you do this pairing protocol between your, you know, lets you pair your phone to your computer in a way that your computer can actually talk to the phone and use the key store on the phone, Without you know moving keys around or doing anything kind of sketchy, right? And so um, I think that I think that's a problem that you know this larger ecosystem needs to address. And it, they are working on different protocols. One of them is uh, CTAP two, um, which is using Bluetooth. It's using the combination of Bluetooth and some additional cryptographic element storage that has to happen on the actual website that that implements the protocol. Um, and so that that's actually what Google is doing. It's uh, it's called um, Cable Cloud Assisted Bluetooth Low Energy Pairing, right? And so um, I think it, it, there's a few problems with it right now, which is that it's a new standard that is not part of WebAuthN, which means that sites will have to well, first of all, the W3C needs to agree upon it, and then sites have to update their implementations, and 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 it's also more complicated because it relies on Bluetooth, and not all devices have Bluetooth, and even devices that do have bluetooth there's security issues as we've seen um and there's also you know just the lack of really good stability around bluetooth and so yeah i mean i one of the advantages of the krypton pairing protocol is that it uses internet it uses the internet which is really fast and reliable and we use it for everything um and it's secure because of our pairing protocol but i would really like to see something like this um be part of the future of of this standard, you know, having devices be able to communicate more reliably to each other and be part of maybe some sort of pairing network, you know, something in this essence of a key base like system. Um, But yeah, that that's sort of how I view I, I definitely view that that our keys are going to live locally on all the devices that we use. So then the problem just becomes bootstrapping. And that's something where I think a lot of Krypton and and technologies like that could could help.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the uh, context you're alluding to with with the Bluetooth is a recent announcement from Google uh, just two days ago in in mid May, as we're recording here, where there were some bugs in the Bluetooth implementation on their Titan security keys, which are their hardware security keys. And they have a great post uh, explaining some of the details. Certainly, we'll link to it in the show notes. But the long and short of it is that they're actually having to recall some of these keys. Uh, because of some of the Bluetooth challenges. So I'm sure they'll have uh, patches and fixes and and updates, but um, Bluetooth is something that adds another element to making sure everything is working the way that you want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, the, you know, the one other downside to relying on these hardware keys is that when there's an issue like this, how do you fix it? You have to get everyone to buy a new key which for tech people is, you know, an inconvenient, you know, a few hours, but for consumers, then just like a, you know, that's just a a disaster, right? I mean, they're not going to be able to necessarily understand why or where to get one or how to read, how to to set them up again. I mean, um, so yeah, I think that software and distributing software and making this technology part of every platform is something that, Hey, we're going to have security vulnerabilities. It's just a fact of life, but how do we fix them? You know, software is really easy and and fast that we can patch
0: it. So Alex, one of the things about authentication is there's so many more aspects to it than even we've been talking about today. We, we've touched on some different challenges in the user experience to even get to the point where someone has to make this decision about which method of two factor to take, but what are your thoughts on authentication more generally and some of the challenges that the industry is facing at large to get authentication as an entire category moved forward in terms of usability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting when you look, start looking at the history of authentication back in, you know, when the first computer networks and and things were used, there was no security, there was no authentication. People just connected and started using. And so I think, I think in that trend sort of followed a lot of software development where authentication was sort of always this after thought aspect, right? You, you build just this great app or this great system. Now you have to add authentication so people don't abuse it, right? And so I think sort of as things move forward, I, I think web authentication, you know, regardless of what you think about it or how it might, you know, die tomorrow, or, you know, whatever success of it is, it's, it's nice that authentication and, and security are, are sort of thought at, along the same lines of creation. So like things are being created with security, with authentication in mind. Um, and so I think that that is something we'll definitely start to see. New systems, authentication will be a feature. It'll be, you know, headline thought of the, you know, a headline part of the thought that goes into creating it.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about uh, security by design and a focus on integrating these important elements from the beginning instead of bolting them on like they might have been in the past. And I think that's going to move things forward, but it also presents a lot of, educational challenges for developers who have such a wide breadth of things that they're focusing on, especially in smaller teams with less resources, where they need to be writing front end applications, back end applications, securing them both focusing on authentication, thinking about account recovery, there's a lot to it. And even before you get to the um, challenge of educating end users about how to securely interact online. I think we need to educate developers about how to build secure systems so that users have the opportunity to protect themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I think more and more we're seeing that security is sort of one of the pillars of, of computer science education and, you know, uh, that people are learning when they're learning how to build systems.
0: Yeah, and in terms of educating developers, certainly you're very familiar with the U2F specification and WebAuthn with all the work you've done for Krypton. Is that something that was really straightforward? Do you think other developers um, have a realistic path towards integrating web authentication into the websites that they're making available? Or do you think that there's still some rough edges?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I mean, you know, just just talking to our team and, and all the trouble that was, you know, understanding the protocol, the different encoding types, and it's, it's sort of a mess. I mean, I think that a lot of things they did well, um, but it's, it's really, it's, because it's a really challenging problem. I mean, when you have committees of people agreeing on things, you sort of get a little bit of everyone's <laughs> um, ideas, and, and, and so it's not as straightforward to implement. I think that developers will rely on libraries that other, you know, companies like Google and and, and Ubico build, so that they can just, you know, integrate it very easily, um, or even depend on third-party services that implement a lot of this technology. Um, but yeah, it's I think it's I think getting developers to understand understand the spec um, is not is not uh, a very easy endeavor, and and probably should be avoided in a lot of cases.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good third parties out there. And the same adage of, um, you know, inventing your own cryptography, proceed with caution, use things that have been tested by the community that are available, Uh, perhaps not the same risk here, but using libraries to make it easier, there is a lot of complexity to implementing the specification yourself. So building on the shoulders of people who've come before, uh, makes a lot of sense. We'll see how the libraries evolve as web authentication becomes more prevalent now that it's supported in all the major browsers. But um, the future is certainly exciting and um, I can't wait to see where things end up. And certainly Krypton with the user experience, I think is gonna play uh, an exciting role in trying to open people's mind to doing things in software. And um, yeah, it's very exciting.
1: Absolutely, yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate you know. <laughs> Touch it, you know, I think you have a very awesome appreciation for for a lot of the different complex tasks that goes into any kind of system like this. And it's it's great. It's great to it's great to have this conversation and you know, just to share some of the, the deep learnings that you know our team has had in this working in this space.
0: Definitely. You know, one of the driving motivations for the podcast at large is to talk with people like yourself who are trying to move the ball forward on usable security. So as we sign off here, uh, how would you summarize in your own words how you and the Krypton team are moving the ball forward for usable security and privacy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we're we're trying to make phishing-proof authentication easy to use, and and under the hood, it's using strong cryptography that is you know a lot stronger than anything that 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 most authentication solutions are using today. And from the user's perspective, it's just an app with a push notification, at, you know, getting. Getting their approval to log in, but under the hood, we're doing all the complex bits of making sure that's secure and, and impossible to fish. And so, yeah, I mean, it's free. The app, the app is free on the App Store uh, for both iOS and Android. We have browser extensions for Safari, Chrome, Firefox, and even Microsoft Edge. Um, and yeah, you can find out everything about how to install it and set it up on, um, on our website, which is crypt.co, Krypt.co.
0: Great. And if people are interested in getting in touch with you or the team, is there a, a way they could reach out via social media or email?
1: Yeah, so you guys can follow us on Twitter at CryptCo, uh, one word, and feel free to reach out, send us an email uh, at our at, at our support email or our hello at Crypt.co. Uh, we, we read every email and we try to respond to everything that we can.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Connor. really appreciate it.
0: You can find the show notes for today's episode by heading to allthingsauth.com podcast and searching for episode number two. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you'd like to support the show, I would really appreciate a rating or a review in iTunes. I personally read all of the reviews over there, and they really help others to discover the show. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next new episode in two weeks.